thanks for being on. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. Things have been uh, pretty exciting with touring coming back and um, some big shows and a lot of music in the pipeline. It, it's just, uh, there's a lot going on in it and it's good. Well, I kind of visualize you as, and maybe not on the entire grand scheme of things, but um, in your niche, in your window, you're almost like the wizard of reggae. You know, there's the, you're the man behind the curtain. Uh, if you're an artist or a producer, if you're someone in my position who kind of dives into the music a lot more and, and reads the liner notes and all that, uh, they know who you are. But if you're a general fan that just, you know, listens to the music, enjoys it, knows the bands and whatnot, um, they don't necessarily know all of your contributions or root fires uh, or ineffable music. Um, how do you see yourself in, in, in the kind of the reggae community? Um, that's a good question. You know, I would say that, um, I am, you know, the, the man behind the curtain thing is, is a, a fitting analogy. I think I, I must say that I'm one of many uh, men and women behind the curtain. Um, you know, there are vastly more members of an artist's team than the band members on stage. And for the bands that I manage with Ineffable, my responsibility is to be the man behind the curtain for their business. Um, Root Fire is a, is a different beast in that none of the people that Root Fire works with, we are managing. We are really providing a service. Um, so uh, it's less of like the, the Wizard of Oz man behind the curtain thing in that sort of like all-encompassing sense. Um, for root fire artists and more of like, Hey, we're working with this one artist or this dozen artists on a specific project. Whereas with management clients, it really is like a marriage. Uh, you know, it's genuinely a, a really long-term partnership. And my job is to help turn their art into a business and all of the things that come with building any business are part of it. In addition to like the wild uh, curveballs of, of being in the industry that we're in and working with artists who, you know, have all sorts of daily experiences that, um, you know, we're, I'm there for. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I just rambled a bit, but. That's okay. Uh, I, I think. Yeah, the, the man behind the curtain analogy is fitting, but it is very important to to give credit to the so many people around me who are part of my team, because um, I'm certainly not like the one man. I, I'm I lead a team of lots of people who, and there's no way I can do it without uh, the team members that, that work for each band uh, and and my partners with an ethical music group and group fun. Yeah. Oh. oh. How did Root Fire and Ineffable pretty much get together? Because you've told me the story a little bit, um, but how does that collaboration work uh, towards the artist and, and again, for you guys? Yeah, uh, I mean, Root Fire and Ineffable merged uh, is, is like really the, the simplest way to explain it back in 2015. Um, at the time, Root Fire was a management company that had begun doing some like lifestyle brand 
type of things, you know, putting on our own events, um, off, you know, facilitating uh, artists' releases as a record label. This was before Rootfire Cooperative was, was established. Yeah. And as a management company, Rootfire was friendly with Ineffable, and there came a point where it just made sense for us to join forces officially. Yeah. And when that happened, it really allowed Rootfire to begin growing to have a life of its own that was not artist management, to really start developing all the things that we were doing that weren't just art, artist management. All of the artist management became part of an ethical's management group. And Rootfire became, a, you know, essentially a brand uh, yeah. that we all worked on together, but it was not about management. It was about the community and the artists and finding ways to nurture those things. So there's a lot of, um, it's a symbiotic relationship and uh, there's a lot of overlap, but they're distinctly different businesses and, and distinctly different business models that are just part of the bigger umbrella, um, which is a group of companies that have merged together. But that definitely makes you guys stronger, right? I mean, as opposed to doing stuff, so especially as a nonprofit, I mean, having that kind of backing and support, I mean, it kind of weighs each other a little bit, right? Absolutely. I mean, it just allows us to have more, um, you know, access to more information, um, access to more resources and understanding of like what's going on in the landscape. Um, yeah, it certainly, it certainly helps to be part of a bigger team. Um, yeah. I think that there are a lot of independent <laughs> music industry. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. Abby. <laughs> you were saying. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people who work as independent individuals running their own businesses. And, and I have so much respect for those people. Um, and for some people, that's the only way to go. Uh, for me, I, I feel like I've, I'm part of a, a larger company that is, that really supports me and um, supports the artists that I, that I represent. And it's, it's great. Um, yeah. So, so I guess I'm not a lone wolf uh, at heart like that. I enjoy being part of a bigger team. Um, and some people, it's not for them, but for me, yeah. right. Well, and you guys, I mean, you're the only nonprofit record label that exists. I mean, which is, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, it's, and you're only specifically focused on reggae, which is, you know, one community, well, reggae, island rock, I mean, all that same uh, area. I mean, you guys are basically the only nonprofit uh, organization for for a record label that exists. Um, and it, again, specifically uh, in the reggae community. And I know you don't want to venture out. My question is, is I guess if someone say they were a big metal fan and they had their album, they, you know, they wanted to start a record company and they wanted to do the same thing. How would you feel about them kind of contacting you and kind of walking them through kind of a blueprint for that? I would welcome that. Um, you know, 
to to clarify, there are other nonprofit record labels out there, but um, not many of them that I'm aware of have achieved real commercial success. Yeah. Um, I might be wrong about that though. The thing that we do that's different is that we are essentially helping the artists be their own label. Uh, we, we are providing the funding and the guidance to help them do that. And then, you know, we recoup it, you know, we don't, we don't charge any interest. We donate our time and our, our, our resources. Um, but really it's about helping the artists maintain total independence in the long run. And if, you know, other nonprofit labels that are out there, I feel like they have struggled to keep to keep the lights on because it's not really a sustainable business unless you have outside funding and you can really like figure out how to how to bring revenue in that's not tied to the music that you're putting out. You right. know, we want all of that to go to the artists so there can be more independent artists. And um, I don't think that what we do is necessarily reinventing the wheel, but we do it in our world and we are the only ones that I know of doing it in the reggae space. Um, and we don't, you know, in a perfect world, I would love to branch out and do all genres, but um, the, the reggae space is the area that we know the best and that we have the most ability to have impact with. And I think that someday the model could be expanded to other genres, but it's not the priority right now. The priority yeah. is making sure that when we take on a project, we're going to be able to do it well. Um, and you alluded to last year, us not having any releases. Yeah, I mean, when the pandemic began, we were just about to launch a whole new campaign of like this community choice process that we developed over the course of several months where people had submitted and, and the pandemic just forced a left turn to directly try and find a way to put money in artists' pockets in the absence of touring revenue. So yeah. basically all of 2020 was focused on what became Rootfire TV. Yeah. Um, and it's really just like, look, our core goal is to help artists make a living. And the pandemic required us to do that differently than helping fund album releases. Yeah. So we are, we're, we're back in that. Um, I, I can't, I can't give any details right this moment about what we have coming, but there are some cool albums on the way on Root Fire Cooperative. And um, actually today I'm finishing uh, finishing one critical piece of what will be the next album. I'm pretty excited about. It. Okay, exactly. That was going to be a question, and I knew there were probably some names you couldn't drop or anything like that. But uh, it's nice. It's it's got to be refreshing and and uh, if not exhilarating to kind of get back into that part of it now and get rolling. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a lot? I'm I'm assuming that last year, uh, given that a lot of bands. Uh, every band uh, had plenty of time to kind of write uh, and and come up with a whole lot of new material. So would I assume that probably the second half of 2020, you probably got more submissions than you probably have ever seen? 
and not just the second half. <laughs> I mean, it was the whole way through. I mean, we get submissions pretty regularly and I don't know if, honestly don't know how much COVID really changed the submission rate. Um, it's just pretty, it's pretty regular. And it kills me that the vast, vast, vast majority we, we can't work with just because, you know, we just, there's only so much we can do. Yeah. The only thing um, so but I think it is pretty safe to say, and we're seeing it already right now that a lot of music was created uh, yeah. over the last year, a lot. And it's all starting to come out now. Um, I mean, one of the things that we developed during COVID was the reggae release radar. And every week it's like the list gets long. It's like this week, yeah. I think there were 30, 30 releases on Friday. Um, you know, it, it's like, there's a lot of music coming and there's, um, I think that the next couple of years are going to be a, just a flood of new music and touring, all of which was kind of like pent up <laughs> over the yeah. course of 2020. Well, and this year, um, I mean, I, I, I I had talked about with a lot of people over the past year, you know, about how this year all of a sudden concerts would blow up. I, the second half obviously is starting to do that, but some people are still kind of a little reluctant or they'll release some dates and then say, well, wait a minute. Um, but it's getting bigger and bigger. And I, I, I wonder I, someone like me or you or someone that loves going to live music shows, I think in 2022 might have to take a couple sabbaticals from the real job so that they can go because there's going to be a show every night. Um, yeah. So you're going to get more and more busy because I know how in, you're also involved with that part as well, right? Uh, you cut out for the lap for a second there. Say it again. Uh, I'm you're, also involved in. You're also you're involved in the concerts and the live events quite a bit as well, right? Well, and that's yeah. how we met because you and I yeah. met at the AZ Roots Festival. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's game on. Um, I mean, it's the music industry at large has generally been eyeing October of 2021 for like a full return to concert. There are, there are some outliers and some exceptions to that, but in general, everybody that I've been talking with, booking agents, other artists, other managers, um, festival directors, everybody for many, many months now has been saying like October is when we think we can safely confirm and actually have the shows play out at full capacity. And I think what we're seeing now is that it's coming even quicker than that. Um, yeah. I mean, at, with Root Fire, we don't get involved in helping an artist launch a tour per se and plan a tour. We might help them market a tour, um, but with my artist management clients, you know, I manage four bands and every single one of them has tour dates yeah. um, so a couple of them have played shows already um, one, one of them played several shows in 2020 even at like socially distant seated outdoor stuff and it is the the touring touring world is really coming back full speed and it has been um, a, a massive workload yeah, <laughs> on top imagine. of what we were doing for the last year so yeah it's it's coming back full swing for sure 
But I guess I guess a lot of people kind of got a break last year. So, I mean, it's, you know, now it's almost worth not worth it. I mean, it's always worth it to do live music. But now it's like it's you're almost, you know, you're itching. So, you know, even um, though it's even though you're putting yeah. in the overtime, you're like, this is completely I mean, it's more fun now, I, I would think, than anything, you know. I mean, it's more fun and it's frankly, it's more lucrative. It's like for the last year, everybody was scrambling just to figure out how to keep the lights on and food on the table. Yeah. And you got to work twice as hard. I mean, I, I could say that the other way is now that the touring is back, we got to work. There's twice as much to do. But in the famine of no touring, a lot of artists and industry were totally screwed yeah and really had to get creative about like how to bring in you know the the smallest revenue stream that was really not significant before may have just become your only revenue stream yeah so you've got to figure out how to how to lean into it and a lot of a lot of great uh great people figured out how to do that and a lot there were a lot of great people who got out of the business and yeah. like, I can't blame them. Um, but now that touring is coming back, it's everybody has been chomping at the bit to play shows, the band members in particular. It's like, yeah. there is a part of it, it, it's like, oh, it's nice that I'm gonna, I'm gonna be home with my wife or my kids or, or whatever. But when you have spent your entire adult life touring, what, you don't know what to do with yourself. So yeah. everybody's been chopping at the bit. And, you know, the amazing thing is that that's where a lot of real money is made for, for career musicians. And yeah. um, it's like, it's a godsend yeah. to have it be coming back. Couldn't come a moment too soon. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think a lot of people realize that the, it, it is the live music that is where, you know, where they really do uh, make their money. Uh, and now it, it might even be blow up even better because I, I, you will, I think we will see almost every show sell out and it doesn't matter what venue and where you go because everybody wants to see them. And you know, you're right. I mean, every artist I've ever talked to, it's, you know, yes, it's a little bit of a struggle when you're touring because of family and the traveling. And, you know, you're, you know, if you're in a small minivan or a bus, it doesn't matter. It's still, yeah. it's still a lot of work, but every artist wants that immediate uh, feedback and, or, you know, um, appreciation for what they do because it's, yes, you want to record, write it, record it and get it on an album and you can put it out there and you'll see, you know, you see your numbers jump up on Spotify or you see your likes and follows on Instagram, Facebook and all that. But when you've got an entire audience in front of you and they're dancing and singing along, uh, I think almost every artist, if not every artist, craves that, you know, I mean, it's, that's that's why people do it. You know, here, this is my creation. I want to see what you think about it because I love to do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, some the energy of being on stage in front of a crowd that loves you is pretty irreplaceable. Um, yeah, no, you're right. And, and especially in the ring, I'm not, not that every, every genre doesn't have, you know, their own, I, I guess, community as far as it goes. It's whenever I go to a reggae show, you can feel it probably a little bit more than some of the others. Um, there's yeah. a peacefulness that goes along with it. You know what I mean? 
Um, yeah. Well, you obviously know what I mean. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, when you turned out, we went, uh, we'll bounce around a little bit. Um, we talked about artist submissions. And when I had talked to you a long time, you told me about the process. I know they kind of submit their music and then, you know, you kind of have to decide with the, your, with your committee, so to speak, and on who you're going to take on and who you're not. Yeah. Obviously when you say yes to somebody, they're excited. Um, how do you turn down an artist do you do is it phone email do you, you know do you, do you give them or do you just kind of what, what's what kind of comments and things do you give them i know it's yeah. tough yeah you know that's something that i've thought about a lot over the years and first of all we just have to be honest you know like we don't want we don't want to waste anybody's time and lead people on if we know it's not something we can do. So we have to be direct and just be frank. Um, but we have really worked hard to develop things that we can offer to artists, even though we might not be able to, you know, fund their album release for you know however much money. We um, so in general, if it's not something we can work on at least we can offer this, 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 and this that you totally can take advantage of. Doesn't cost you anything. Here are the ways to do it. So we, we, we've tried to create opportunities for everybody um, that are meaningful. Um, yeah. It's it's like, hey, well, it's not just, hey, we'll tweet your album cover. It's like, hey, no, like there, there are some things that we can really do that like, could it could really be beneficial beyond a social media post um not that a social media post is invaluable i mean it, it's it's uh, not yeah. that it's not valuable it is it is truly valuable um but there's more that we can and want to do so you know we have to turn down the vast majority of people but when we do it's like hey there's this 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 and this that you can check yeah. out if you want to and keep in touch keep sending us music just because now is not the time doesn't mean that down the road won't be the time like be be in contact with us and m maybe the stars will align you know yeah so they can submit more than once oh sure yeah i they can submit as often as they have new music okay so they'll just kind of give you like if they just send a song or two and just kind of and uh, there's a submission process. There's a form. Um, I, have, I haven't looked at, I saw it was on there, but I didn't, since I'm not an artist, I don't, trust me, you don't yeah, want to I mean, hear anything I'm going to put out. <laughs> there's probably 15 or 20 questions on that form that okay. really help inform our decision about like, whether it's a viable project for us straight out of gotcha. the gates. Um, so yeah, um, it, it's a process, but people can, people can submit all the time. We got two submissions today. I haven't had a chance to check them out yet, but um, it's there anytime anybody wants to see Does it all go through you or is there some other people that will look at it first? Um, it does go through me, but there are other people who will also look at it. Um, yeah. It tends to come to me first and I, I kind of take an initial look at it. And if there if there's something that sticks out to me, we then have a bigger conversation with the rest of the team. Gotcha. Okay. 
What about past artists? I mean, I know, do you keep in contact with both? It, it's got to be like, kind of like, a, you know, after you send a kid off to college, you know, it's they kind of go off and do their own thing, but you still obviously keep an eye. Um, you still kind of keep in contact with them, not just concerts, but just general kind of how you're doing kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some artists more than others. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to work directly with somebody for long enough to like successfully release an album and not develop a, a relationship along yeah. the way. Um, and yeah, I mean, some some artists I'm, I'm in contact with more than others. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always like to think that if we work together, it's because we like each other. Yeah. And of course we'll want to keep in touch. And it might be the most convenient to see each other at concerts because we live in different parts of the country or the world. Um, but, you know, an email is, uh, or, or a phone call or a text message, those, those can happen anytime, anyplace. So. Gotcha. Do they ever try to reach out and get more insight on things or is they pretty much on their own after that? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, the way that Rootfire Cooperative operates and that once the album is recouped, we literally turn the distribution keys over to that artist forever. So they don't even need to come to us for like insights on like how many streams they're getting and how much money they're making. All that is just theirs. Um, as if, you know, they are their own record label once, yeah. you know, once it's kind of completed the cycle. But again, the, the music industry is built like any industry on relationships. So if there's somebody that you've worked with and they're still in the game, there's a real good chance you're going to find a reason to be working together. So yeah, I mean, it's totally an open door. Yeah. Um, and there are no artists who I've said, don't contact me. There yeah. are just some that like, we don't naturally cross paths as often anymore for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's totally an open door. Um, you guys have a very extensive and impressive list of albums um, and artists. Uh, and even with, you know, like Steel Pulse with the Grammy nomination, um, Hyrie, who they're, they're just, I mean, blowing up. There's just no other way to look yeah. at it. Uh, the movement, uh, you know, uh, the expanders, all these and uh, set song, uh, they're all over the place. Uh, how, how do you, do you, I don't know. It was more like me ranting, I guess, than more of a question for you. <laughs> uh, okay. It's you're almost. I mean, obviously, you're a springboard for their uh, for their development and whatnot. Uh, do you, you favor it? I guess I can't even ask that question because it's can't. They're all the same. It's like how do you love one kid more than another? You know. Totally. Yeah. They're all different. Uh, but it's 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 fun to watch how much you guys have contributed to that, uh, and there's obviously more artists coming, so you probably have a backlog at this point because you you just focus one year at a time. Like, or are you already looking at artists for twenty twenty two? We don't really focus on like one year at a time. It's sort of like what project is ready, and when is that happening? Um, we. You know, we've thought about, you know, having it like we're going to release once a quarter, or twice a year, you know. Yeah. 
it just doesn't really work like that. Every art, every album is sort of has a life of its own in the creation phase. Some artists are going to go into the studio and do all of the tracking in a marathon, seven, 10, 14, 22 day session. And then step away from it for months before they really get into the mixing. Some artists are just going to go all the way from soup to nuts in one long sprint. But then you might be waiting for months and months and months and months for them to make a decision about artwork yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or you're, you know, there's really this guest artist that they really want to have on this track. And that guest artist is like busy and it's going to take them a while. So there are so many things that can make a project take longer. So it, it's just doesn't really work for us to say like, we're going to release one album every four months or, or anything like that. We just kind of have to take it organically as the projects come, as they naturally come to life. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to ask you too, cause I know we talked about root fire TV, but um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the reggae pod clash also kind of came uh, from the yep. pandemic. Um, and that's with uh, Devin Morrison and uh, uh, Roger Rivas. Uh, how, how did that come about? Is that, I mean, was that you guys coming up with it? Was it Devin and Roger going, Hey, we have an idea or how did we get, how did we come up with that? Um, it was sort of all of the above. I think I know that Devin and Roger had always talked about doing a podcast. Um, and I, I was, I've been working pretty closely with Devin for several years. So we're, you know, we're just regularly in contact. Um, it definitely was a product of COVID. It's like, well, we got nothing but time right now. Let's actually do this. Cause part of the reason those things don't get off the ground is because some, you know, not every idea gets the energy it deserves to really come to life. But when COVID happened, it was like, well, there's definitely no better time for us to figure out how to do this than right now. And it was sort of just a natural extension of Rootfire TV. Um, you know, Rootfire TV was all about facilitating artist live streams and collecting donations from our audience. And the idea of doing a live podcast just sort of naturally came up in those conversations. So it was like, yeah, let's go. Like me, Devin and Roger just started putting our heads together and figuring out like, all right, how do you do this? Like, all right, let's do this. So it really, it really came to life naturally. Um, whether it ever would have happened without the pandemic, we may never know. But yeah. uh, it, it did one way or the other, and it's been really special for us um, more and more as time goes on. Cool. As you uh, sit back as the uh, wizard of reggae or <laughs> part of the collective of it, um, what's your favorite part out of all of this? Um, I get really excited about the music itself and about marketing strategies and little nuanced things about video edits. Um, I get really excited when I can, you know, have 
these measurable metrics of the business growth, whether that's, you know, we're you know, doing a, a, a push for a new album, you're counting the streams. If you're doing a push for a tour, you're counting the ticket sales. If you're doing a push for a new like line of merch, you're counting the merch sales. So I really, really enjoy watching those literal metrics of whether something is succeeding. Um, but the, the parts that I really tend to like get the feels about are when we're really deep in the music creation process. And particularly when a mix is getting closer to its final form and you're really getting deep into like, all right, there's one version that does this and there's another version that does something a little bit different. And then there, there, there's a double course here, but a single verse, you know, that whole process of really, really getting deeper into the music itself is something that I, I've just always been a musician. I, I've always connected with music. So that part I really, really enjoy. But then on a day to day, it's sort of like the business metrics of like, Hey, what, what is the measurable impact of all this work that we're doing? It's this, it's this, it's this. And then I, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't just acknowledge that the relationships that I've developed do, I mean, I have a real community of people that I love that I know through the work that I do. Um, and that is, I mean, probably the most valuable piece of it all in the long run. It's like, I've got real friends, real people who, have, who feel like family to me, who I have the pleasure of doing this fun work with. And sometimes it's not fun, but at least we're there for each other. Yeah. I didn't know you're actually involved in the actual recording and mixing process. I didn't know that part. Uh, I am not at the control room, but I am fully engaged in like, Hey, what do you guys record today? Uh, All right, cool. And then once the, once the tracking is done, I'm usually pretty involved with communicating between the band members and themselves for one like hey johnny likes this and greg likes that and brian likes that what are we going to do how are we going to come to consensus and i have to really know the music yeah in order to be able to facilitate those decision making conversations and also just to keep it moving for for the sake of like trying to meet goals for timelines that we're working around yeah truth is a lot of the times the timelines have to move because you know, like we were talking about, there's a million things that can make it take longer. But I'm really, really, really involved in getting those, you know, what do we need to get done? All right, this is what we need to get done. Mm -hmm. And with the music itself, it usually takes 10, 20 mixes before you get a final mix. Yeah. And I'm listening every step of the way so I can understand what the guys are talking about. It's like, hey, I like this keyboard part. Hey, I think we should add, there's something missing here. That cowbell is a little bit too hot in the mix. Like, does anybody else think that? So, I, you know, I'm like, I'm really deep in the music itself, um, you know, the whole way through. And I, and I love it. <laughs> You're a nurturer, don't lie. <laughs> yeah, well, and I should also say that like, 
I used to be in my own band. I was a drummer and I, I had experienced what it's like to have the headphones on and be recording and listen back and go do it again and go do it again and argue about whether we should do this here or that there. And I genuinely just love it. Um, and I feel like I can relate to what the band members are going through because I've literally experienced it myself and I know what it's like to be like, ah, I, I could have done that better. And yeah. to know that that's always a thing and that like there's no song that's ever really like done because it's going to continue evolving over time the more the band plays it, and, you know. Somebody's going to play a little riff that they never thought of until right at that moment and they're going to like it and they're going to keep doing it. And five years later, everybody's going to know it that way, but it's not the way it was on the recording. Yeah. You know? So the music itself has a life of its own for sure. Yeah. Um, Which go that goes back to just playing live and how, you know, how, how much it can, how, how beneficial it can be for everybody. So, yeah, absolutely. So I know you said that, uh, you know, at some point in time, there's a possibility that um, Rootfire could branch out to other genres. But with that kind of aside, how do you see Rootfire in another five or 10 years? I see Rootfire continuing to be a springboard uh, in as many ways as possible. Uh, I really feel like at the core root fire is about being of service to the community and nurturing the community that which is not only the artists but the fans and the businesses who want to support all of it. businesses who make their money being part of it um and you know the artist might create the music that soothes the fan but it's the fan that supports the artist in doing it. So it is really a two-way street or a three-way street, depending on all these, these different vested parties. And my vision for Rootfire is to be as helpful as possible in that equation for the artists and the fans and the businesses who, who, uh, who are part of the community. And to really deepen the value of the community for everybody that participates in it. So I see Rootfire continuing to do exactly what we're doing um, and hopefully more and better. Um, we've taken last few years, few years off of festivals. I could see us uh, getting back into festivals in the next few years, maybe. Um, I see us releasing more albums going into uh, the end of 2021 and 22 and beyond and never really stopping. Um, and along the way, every day, there's a new piece of the puzzle that helps keep that story going. You know, there's always music coming out. There's always a band get, getting on the road. There's always a show that is going to change someone's life. And I want Group Fire to be a resource and, and really provide value to all of those different parties in there. Well, and reggae is, uh, we talked last year, you know, about the growth of reggae. And, and I mean, it's, it still continues to grow. It's so much bigger than it ever was. And, it, you know, if you think about genres, there's, 
you know, there's a few genres that are kind of like the mother load or whatever. And reggae was kind of like a, a smaller genre that some people knew, but now it's got its whole own, its whole own entire identity. There's sub genres now, which, you know, you didn't see a lot of that. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see it become what it is. And there's a lot of different styles that have contributed to that. I mean, it's, I feel like EDM even kind of has kind of like a contribution to reggae. Oh yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's huge. I, I, I've always listened to reggae. Um, you know, I was always kind of the classic reggae person, you know, uh, and then, you know, I caught on to a couple bands about maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And it's, it's, there's so many now, there's so many good ones, but so many of them. And I think everybody that you, um, have produced, uh, also still keep it, um, so close to the original style of music. Uh, even though, you know, bands like Revolution and a couple others still kind of use more, more, more genres and things that they meld into their music. But staying true to that core tends to always be there, which you don't always see that everywhere else. So, I mean, kudos to you because that's going to be, I mean, you guys are at the core of all of that. I mean, there's other labels and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other people that contribute, as you say, but... But I mean, Root Fire, as it grows, it's still that little beacon, you know, in the center of it all, you know. So congratulations. Uh, it's very kind of you. Thank you for saying that. Um, it feels like we really are lucky to be, you know, right in the action with modern reggae music in general. And we really... There is an issue in reggae music that will probably never go away or be resolved um, around cultural appropriation. And it's not just with reggae music, it's around you know all sorts of things. And there are a lot of people who um, hear anything other than Jamaican roots reggae and feel that it is... Um, a bastardization of the pure form. Yeah. And everybody's entitled to their opinions. I don't share that opinion. Um, and furthermore, I really feel like the vast majority of people who are making music, which ha which has followed in the footsteps of, of the original reggae, really genuinely appreciate and understand the depth of the music more than they are given credit for a lot of times. Um, particularly bands like Sublime, Slightly Stupid, and Revolution. And, yeah. I mean, if you actually talk to the people in those bands, they are like reggae heads to the bone. And the same is true for so many bands. But the truth is that Everything borrows from what came before. Yep. And what we have now with all the subgenres and the diversity within the greater world of reggae music is, I, I believe, just a natural evolution of people building on what has come before and creating something of their own that was inspired. And, you know, if people are going to be like posers about it and pretend that they care, but actually not care. Well, fuck them. 
they don't get it. And like, that's not who we're trying to deal with. But the vast, vast, vast majority of people are not posing at all. They love it. They respect yeah. it. They revere it. They want to help everybody else learn about it. And that's another real core value of Root Fire is building bridges between people who love old reggae and people who love new reggae. And particularly helping the people who love new reggae understand that it's a lot deeper than, than you might realize. Um, but you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. You, but even reggae didn't necessarily start as reggae. I mean, it, it, yeah, it all yeah. grew from something, but every music's that way. I look at EDM kids who can't even tell me anything about like some of the more, uh, more like electro pop stuff from the eighties. I mean, if I said, Hey, do you know information society? They're like, no, what's that? I'm like, well, it yeah. kind of helped get where you're at now, you know, Zig Zig Sputnik, stuff like that. I mean, but even with reggae, I mean, it's, you know, every art and you're absolutely right. Even your, even the pod clash, you know, I was listening to an episode and they were playing some, they were playing something from like the seventies and they were like, Hey, guess the drummer. And as much as I listen to music and know a lot of artists, I couldn't tell you who the hell the drummer is, but there's some people replying back on, Oh, that's this it's guy. And this guy. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, huh, fuck do they know that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know the main artists, you know, Jimmy Cliff and all these guys, but I mean, wow, you know, it's, it's amazing. But, and, but that's where it's supposed to be with the music because they love it so much. When you look at, you know, like you said, uh, you know, uh, slightly stupid, um, Sublime, uh, Revolution, you know, The Green, all these bands, they use that stuff because they appreciated where it got them. And, and it pre they appreciated the sounds and the tones and everything else. And they say, I want to incorporate this into my music, but I also want to kind of add to it and make it my own. I don't see why there's ever a problem with that. I mean, you get that too with any genre. I mean, if you talk about rock people and you're like, well, the, what about ACDC and Zeppelin? This doesn't sound like them. And then how do you say that it has anything to do with it? But it all came from somewhere, you know, yeah. rock, blues, country, bluegrass, reggae. I mean, it's all, it all has its own natural progression. But that's yeah. the beauty of the art. Because, I mean, you can't do the same thing the whole time. People will get bored. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all got its own lineage and its own history. Yeah. But that's the fun of it. I mean, it's, I, but you're right. There are those people that are like, oh, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's sort of like, okay, what? I'm, I'm sorry it's not for you, but like, I like it. Yeah. I'll just put my headphones on and go over here. You can. Yeah. I'll try not to you. bother you with it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, maybe I'll try it out. Maybe, maybe I'll impose some right hand music on you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know. It's uh, there's people like that, but what do you do? Uh, you know, it's, you, you got to continue to develop, but and you're an artist though. And I think that's why you're such a big part of that as well. It's, it's usually people who are not musicians or singers or anything like that, that are the ones that will kind of alienate it. Uh, but those that are musicians and are used to creating and, and every artist takes little things from other artists and sounds and, and, and genres. And that's where they come up with their sound because they didn't just all of a sudden go, Oh, I know how to do this. It was bits and pieces and it, and it was growth. So yeah, no, I agree with you a hundred percent. We could go on for days about that. So yeah. You just reminded me of something I, I realized I tangented off and lost, lost my point a little bit earlier, but talking about 
going back to the mixes and being in the process and, and the fact that I, I, I was a drummer back in the day. I did do that. The point I was getting towards, which I, which I strayed from, was that there came a point in my own professional development where I realized that, well, I, I like decided not to be in a band anymore. It's like, okay, I spent most of my twenties doing this. It hasn't gotten me where I wanted it to be. Let me, let me do something else. And I quickly realized that I was still really, really, really interested in working with other bands. And when I was able to step away from being the artist myself and have it be my creation, it allowed me to be a lot more objective and give honest feedback. And one of the things, while I get very, very close to the music, I offer my opinions, but I really try and make a point to like defer to the artist. It's, it's like, look, this is your music. I'm your manager. My job is to help you build a business with it and avoid potholes and uh, try and put out the best representation of yourself possible. And if I think something is bad, I promise I'm going to tell you. But if everybody else disagrees that what I think is bad and they, they think it's not bad, well, all right, it's your art, you know. Good luck. Um, yeah, and, and I'm not even good luck. It's, it's like, all right, I guess I'm wrong. You know, and you never really want to be in that situation where you're like the lone person uh, saying like, no, no, no. And then it turns out to be, you hope that's never the case. And I, and I don't think it ever really has been for me. I, I don't think I've ever been clairvoyant like that. Um, but I've had to learn to be real careful about not being precious with my opinions. Yeah. But speak up because, I, you know, I have a responsibility to just tell the truth to the people that I care about, whatever it is. And, um, but that part of the, the actual music process has really evolved for me from an era when it was my music to an era where it's their music and I'm here to help facilitate. I don't know. Uh, you reminded me of it uh, with something you said that I, I felt the need to clarify. I like that. Uh, Reed, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, for your contributions, as I've already stated before, I mean, as much as I listen to the music and the bands, uh, you know, I, I know there's a little piece of you in some of them. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, thank, you. Uh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I, I hope I get to see you at a festival sometime soon. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the albums you guys put out. Hopefully, maybe we can do this again on some new subjects and, and you know, see what happens next. But uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. I, I can talk about this stuff all day long, too. So I, I welcome the opportunity and I appreciate you reaching out. I gotcha. I, I am, I, you know, I've, I've spoken to a couple artists here and there uh, that are based on more of a reggae, but I almost kind of wanted to do one at some point where we do talk about actually uh, what you and I had already started to talk about was, you know, like the progression of the music and, and kind of recognizing people from the beginning and then people who have helped develop it along the way maybe you'd like to be a part of that at some point so absolutely sign me up all right well i'll be in touch uh, again thanks a lot i mean i hope you have a great day and uh you know again i'm excited to see what comes up next thank you so much jeff have a great day man it's been great all chatting right. with you thanks reed see ya right